Hail and welcome to the Downloadable Concept Podcast. I am here to speak to you of the dread Forsaken. The realm's histories tell of how the Anathema's foul patrons abandoned them. As the remainder of the Anathema fled in terror, these warriors died in hopeless battle against the righteous armies of the Jeb Wrench. Mamas, don't let your hedgehogs grow up to be Sonic. According to the theology of the realm, these Anathema, the blasphemous, were unholy priests who forced their subjects to bow down and worship dark powers. They were abolished by the Fox Lee. In the name of the Munchlax, the Munchlax, and the Holy Munchlax. Ancient records spoke of Anathema, whose voices could drive men mad. He was Talon Lee. Yeah. Exalted 3rd Edition came out, alright? I've been reading my books. <laughs> so It exists. <laughs> so, Holy shit, it happened! Real quick programming note before we start talking about Exalted. Um, next week, listener, we will probably have a housed guest making it either... A guest episode, and we'll have a fourth voice, or we might not be able to do a record. We're very sorry, we might get something up in the meantime, but just so you know, it's a bit of a wonky week coming up. Oh, yes, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Okay. Wonky week is my OK Cupid profile name. Mm-hmm. And back to talking about Exalted, where the Kickstarter was February 2013. Very, very natural. And the initial release date they were projecting was December 2013. Yeah, well. Just about made it. You know, you are culpa for accepting White Wolf release dates. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure you are culpa is the technically correct grammar there. (laughs) Oh, really? And I was trying to be so precise. (laughs) But yes, uh, Exalted 3rd Edition has hit drive-thru cards and drive-thru RPG. And I haven't got it yet. (laughs) <laughs> Give me a minute. Uh, they, they also released around this time Pugmire, which I didn't know about, and it sounds amazing. That's not White Wolf, is it? Uh, it's Onyx Path, which ah. White Wolf, as you conventionally recognize them, no longer exists. Right, yes. They, they were bought by CCP, which is still a match made in what? <laughs> Definitely. Though I guess they have in common a uh, player base who are like, the mainstream popular thing is super lame, and our version is way better because it's not nearly so childish. <laughs> Com- communities defined by snooty pricks, huh? I'm just saying, uh, Eve players and uh, Vampire the Masquerade, or, well, <laughs> anything the anything players could be sitting at a table having a conversation, and each one thinks they're talking about either D&D or World of Warcraft, as is appropriate. Nah. Whereas... Pugmire appears to be a game about a post-apocalyptic setting where humans died out and dogs replaced them. Good. And the dogs... Dogs are trying to live by what they... They have a, they have a, a, a religion called the, the Voice of Man. <laughs> They're trying to, like, recover the histories of humans and live according to those tenets. Yes, which include things like be loyal to those who you can trust and be a good dog. <laughs> And there's like a, a paladin-y type archetype. I can just picture like the, the, the dog, the dog, uh, the, the post-apocalyptic dog church and the, the, all the dogs, they, they shuffle in. The, the preacher dog goes up to the podium and said, all right, who is a good boy? 
the whole congregation rises. I am. I am. Well, yeah, that appears to be the central idea at the start of Pugmire. It's kind of incredible. Yeah, I, I want uh, I'm on board for this. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and, and they note that in the morality system of the world, there are, there are good dogs and bad dogs, but being a bad dog they... is not being evil. There's no such thing as being a bad dog. Well, no, it's possible well, if you there... do not live up to the tenets uh, of being a good dog, that what does that leave you to be? There are bad things, but the evil things, that's reserved for, like, actual unthinkable horrors and monsters and stuff. Also, if you don't like the idea of playing a dog person in this setting, there are two other cultures nearby that the dogs trade with. Cats and badgers. (laughs) Just saying, this is a really rich, wonderful space, and they've got artists like the Pathfinder artists producing these high-quality fantasy artworks of (laughs) dog knights in armour. I feel like this is going to be the red wall of the next generation. I, I hope really so. Do. I yeah, I am a hundred percent fucking into this. <laughs> so, hey Fox, what have you been playing this week? Zelda Picross. <laughs> yes. Finally, it's uh, it's totally worth having someone living in your house who will let you install Miitomo on your phone just so you can have the add a friend in person function. <laughs> Thank you, Talon. Yeah. <laughs> I've got Miitomo on my phone. <laughs> you can get rid of it now. I've, I've got what I need from you. I have no, I have no more need for you. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> you have served your purpose. I thought the purpose of Mitomo was to look at your friend's Twitter shit posts. Well, to look Just at your friends Tomo shitposts. Oh, I see, I see. There's a difference. What about you, Jeb? Have you been playing anything this week? Uh, you might have heard of Dark Souls 3. Yeah, I've heard of Dark Souls yeah. 3. Been yeah. playing that. Go, go on. I was just going to make a joke. I've been... I, I'm a little curious about Dark Souls now, thanks to uh, Matt Lee's putting together a video about the storytelling in Bloodborne. And mm-hmm. just like, oh, there's there's a narrative in these games? It's not just sure mashing is. your face against a wall with a hammer? Oh, imagine if someone had mentioned that. <laughs> you didn't know this? I knew vaguely. Well, the main it's thing like the, I knew of the story... The of, main selling point for most people is that there's a really good story that's told in a, a way that's 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 uh, more geared towards the, the strengths of video games as a medium. Yeah. See... The main thing I've learned about Dark Souls from hearing my friends, even the ones who are trying to encourage me to play it, is it's really hard, it's really funny watching people fail. No, it's not. It's not funny watching people fail. (laughs) And uh, so, so like, for example, watching the extra credits stuff, the failures are the most exasperating part because uh, now I have to wait till I get to there. And then, you know, the fact that they've taken a fast-forwarding chunks of their Let's Play kind (laughs) of indicates you might have a problem. That's what you're supposed to do when you make a Let's Play. <laughs> you get some entertaining fails, but broadly speaking, that's, you know, that part is like, I, just the repetition that you don't want to share. Like, I, I, I watch it. There's a Dark Souls 3, uh, there's a there's a Souls series uh, video maker, Let's Player, that uh, I watch a lot of content from. He's named Epic Name Bro, and, like, he's doing a Dark Souls 3 playthrough, and one of the deaths that he did 
didn't fast forward was this giant demon picked him up, chewed on him, and then threw him, which is, you know, one of his basic attacks. That one of the attacks, <laughs> the grab attacks that this demon has. One of his and basic normally attacks, just throws you, you But normally, not basic attacks, but it's a... Uh, it's the way it punished you for getting too close, uh, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. But normally, when it throws you, it just throws you like across the, it throws you away from it. Well, it just happened to be that when you when you fight him, you're on a bridge, and mm-hmm. the demon was facing towards the the vast expanse off the edge of the bridge. So not only did he run out of health as the demon was eating his character. But the demon then threw the character into the void. <laughs> How you come back as a hollow after that, man? I think those souls are gone. I, I think those souls are just gone. Let him go, man. But no, the yeah, you're. I interrupted you. Sorry. No, that's fine. That, that was fine. I I can't even remember what I was interrupted with. Who interrupted who? <laughs> I, I have someone interrupted somebody. We were talking about the story in Dark Souls and how it's told through the environment and through uh, reading the item descriptions of things. Yeah, it's kind of like audio logs, only in a way that makes sense. It's like, oh, what's the history behind this item? Yeah. Oh, the history behind this item tells me that this is what sort of things that this culture did. And like, <laughs> haven't I heard this name before? Oh, right, it's mentioned in this item. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course. The... Why did I find this item connected to this character in this place? Hmm, I wonder. Of course, the the, the game that ultimately Lee's was talking about was Bloodborne, um, and you know, definitely I can see the allure of the environmental storytelling, the slow pace. It's all very, very thoughtful and very cleverly done. Uh, said Bloodborne is slow paced. <laughs> the storytelling is slow paced. Like, it, it makes use of the fact that you retraverse areas. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, yeah, apparently the Souls games have stories, and this is something that even, like, even, like, James Portnow, who normally trumpets about, ooh, telling stories in games, doesn't mention in the Let's Play. If you'd, like, asked or something. <laughs> you know, I've one thing I've learned is you never have to ask Dark Souls players anything. Nope. Well, clearly they'll you do. Because they'll tell you, and then they'll tell you to get good. Look, the Dark Souls players and I have an understanding. <laughs> we all worship at the altar of the same frog. <laughs> all hail the get good toad. <laughs> we we in our last D and D session in the in the monster campaign, we're playing uh, a a summoned toad wound up doing quite a lot of damage and killing quite a lot of oh. very dangerous things. All hail the Get Rock Monster. And in this case, we were... What was it? Trode? Our Hero Trode. Our Hero Trode. It is, in fact, an amalgamation of... Well, it's a joke I made where I proposed that... uh, Christ, I've forgotten his name. Rob Thomas. Rob Thomas, yeah. Might be what happened uh, because... He, he's the, now I've forgotten the other bloke's name. He, he he is the good part of Chad Kroger that split off. Chad Kroger, that's the one. I, like if, if Chad Kroger expelled his light side, <laughs> so he would have no weaknesses when the heroes arrived, you would get Rob Thomas. <laughs> Which explains things because Rob Thomas looks like a kind of guy who can get, lose a fight with a book. Um. <laughs> uh, hence, I proposed the entity Trode. Uh, tr- Trogomus or something. I can't remember what yeah. his surname was. But uh, but Trode wound up being a nickname for a frog. Uh, do, do you think the listeners realize that we have very little to talk about this week? 
This is getting added to the complex Munchlax canon, Talon. <laughs> I, I mean, and I, I expect all of you, when you summon a toad in the future, to name it Trode in honor of our hero. Actually, now, while we're just generally in the wheel weeds of things relating to games, I heard an amazing piece of advertising today, which I, I, I have to share. Um, I think Jeb probably already knows it, which is in a promotion for uh, basketball games in the United States. These amazing high high caliber shots, and the voiceover says Shakespeare said that all the world's a stage and men and women are merely players, but Shakespeare never met Stephen Curry. <laughs> <laughs> like that doesn't make a lick of goddamn sense. Especially not since you're talking about an athlete whose job is to stand on a court and perform. <laughs> exactly. What the? <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, Steph Curry is. Not playing the same game everyone else is. <laughs> I, I, absent, that is legitimate. Uh, Steph Curry is the is the speed runner of basketball at this point. Like I don't want to wait to have a career that good over seventeen years. How quickly can I get it done? Before this season, the 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 NBA single season record for three point shots made in a season was I think two hundred and eighty two, set last year by Steph Curry. This year, the record is now 402. That's like twice as much. Almost. Set by Steph Curry. <laughs> Fucking Christ. <laughs> there is now an official category. Most three-pointers made in the season, not by Steph Curry. <laughs> <laughs> and it's held by Clay Thompson, his teammate. How many did he get? Set this year. <laughs> the person who is second, who is second had the second most this season number two this year has the third most three point shots hit in a single season (laughs) oh you're gonna feel sorry for that guy (laughs) (laughs) if you weren't here my god I (laughs) there's a there's an Australian basketball on Steph Curry's team which is why I would just like I would just like to point out one more thing yep uh, after those three, fourth on the list, the person that last year Steph Curry broke the record of mm-hmm. was Steph Curry. <laughs> <laughs> Steph Curry. Do we, sorry, do, do we have the figure on uh, the pre-Curry record? <laughs> the, uh, you know, non-spiced record, as it were. <laughs> Steph Curry appeared and numbers lost meaning. Um, well, you you say that. Uh, <laughs> that happened in NBA 2K16. Yes! <laughs> Are they? <laughs> Steph Curry's performance actually broke the rating system. <laughs> he is literally breaking video games with how good he is. In in uh, the te- in Steph Curry's team, there is an Australian basketballer who, as I understand it, is not there for throwing three pointers. Is um, this why we're hearing about him? This is why here in Australia we hear about him because we don't care that much about basketball. We, well, we don't follow American basketball. Not, not really. We follow Australian basketball, which is kind of boring and bad by comparison because Ooh, yeah. all of our best players go to America and make more money. Uh, um, not a big basketball scene here. Uh, and this guy was apparently getting criticized in the press because he kept celebrating Steph Curry's shots early. <laughs> like, yep, the yep, ball yep. would get to Steph Curry, he'd look at him, and he'd stop like, playing the game with the person he yep. was defending. He turned around and walked to the end of the court, like, well, we're going to have to reset any second now, so... 
Yep, that's that is a thing that happened. It's like uh, is it Andre Iguilada? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the name. Quality. Yeah, I, I, Andre Lake Iguilada sees the shot going up, turns around. It's like, oh yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> it got to the point that even Curry himself started doing it. <laughs> he just throws the shot up, Not turns around, leaves. <laughs> cool guys, don't look at explosions. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> um. Back in, I, what was it, January, when when Curry decided that it was appropriate just to defy the laws of physics? <laughs> um, <laughs> he crossed, okay, the, the basketball court is, I want to say, approximately 80 feet long. Um, we'll trust you on this. Uh, we'll say, 20, <laughs> just say, for the sake of, sake of argument, 25 meters long. Oh, okay, that I can visualize. <laughs> I, I'm not good at feet. Yeah, we'll say 25 meters long, you know. That's about 75 feet, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, the, the Warriors, the team Steph Curry plays for, crosses the center, like, they, he, he has the ball, he crosses the center of the court. Now, normally what you expect a human being to do <laughs> is to get close to the basket and attempt to score the point to win the game. And the person defending Steph Curry, one of the best defenders in the game, was thinking that, you know, he would attempt, that, that Curry would attempt something that normal human being <laughs> And made the correct basketball play of protecting closer to the basket. He did not, however, expect that Curry would just launch himself into the air, throw the ball, and end the game. Now, uh, <laughs> I'm not great at basketball rules, but am I contextualizing this correctly in thinking that you're not allowed to shoot from beyond the halfway mark? <laughs> so this is just the formality that he required to be able to score. <laughs> And as soon as he had that, he just went, all right. <laughs> This'll it's, it's, do. It's, it's, it is basketball. It is considered, you know, practical application of basketball knowledge that you don't expect your opponent to be able to score from the center court line. Yes. <laughs> and, well, that that changed that day. <laughs> Contemporary wisdom failed. <laughs> Contemplating introducing a four-point shot? So. No, wait, the answer to that would have to be No. Because then they would inadvertently invent another new scoring category. It's like, oh, most four-point shots, not by Steph Curry. <laughs> Basically, basketball is going through a very strange but very cool and interesting time right it'd now. Be, it'd be a policy that was basically named the free points for the Warriors rule. <clears throat> Alright, yeah, so that was interesting. <laughs> like I said, we don't have a lot to talk about, so... What's going on in games that happen on screens? We'll talk about the guy who broke video games. Well, I was thinking, given that we don't have a plan and we don't have a lot of content, maybe it's time that we go over to one of those glass cases we have labeled <gasps> open in case of emergency. I like breaking stuff. We're going to the 90s. Who wants to do a big retro gaming news about 1998? And now it's time for retro gaming news. All the news that's fit to print from the year of 1998. Brought to you by 1998. Fucking seriously, it's just that good. I remember the 90s. <laughs> a brief bit of like just general news context for how 1998 was in video games. Uh, the Isn't BAFTAs, this what the context is? Well, yeah, sort of. BAFTAs started paying attention to video games at this point. The Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences had their first awards and inducted Shigeru Miyamoto as the first Hall of Famer. Ah, rightly so. Uh, the fourth E3, which at that point, E3, the Electronics Entertainment Expo, was mostly about televisions. 
and you know, then they started selling game consoles and whatnot. Yeah, like when E3 started, it was for tech relating to entertainment in the home before it became about video games. Oh, wow, I had no idea. Um, Put the electronic entertainment in Electronic Entertainment Expo. Uh, Linux Games was established. And never created any sense. It's, what? what is that? Li- a, a charity? <laughs> Linux Games is a website that's, that's there to be a comprehensive database of games you can play on Linux. Oh, right. Oh, it's really hard to keep a database <laughs> of three games. <laughs> hey, that's point, not nice. Occasionally have, they have to do things like take off MMOs that have been discontinued. At, at this point in history, they're more or less on, on, on you know, about three. Also notable uh, is two particular names in this year passed away. One was Bill Williams which is a name that not many people are going to click to immediately, but he was the designer of the video games Mindwalker, Necromancer, and Alley Cat. Hmm. No, I thought hmm. I recognized it at first. But Alley Cat was, a, was an EGA classic where you played a cat jumping up and down on fences, going into windows and doing okay. silly mini games inside houses. It was yeah. a really, that sounds great. It's a great little yeah. game. I've no idea how you win it. You just, just play like it. It's like WarioWare, only you're a cat. Play. Yeah. Um... And also, very sadly... Is this the year that uh, Gunpei Yoko died? Uh, not listed here in the major events, but listed in the major events is Danielle Bunton-Berry passed away. Oh. Who was the creator of Seven City of Gold and Mule. Mule is basically where strategy games came from. Right. The, 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 she invented the, the business management strategy game. Yeah. Oh, you were telling me about this. It was robots, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they were, they were basically robots shitty robots. Moon. Yeah. <laughs> really really bad robots it was just a great game yeah uh, <laughs> it was a great game and in recent days especially on places like Wikipedia there has been a quiet push to erase uh, Danielle Buttonberry and her identity and that sucks and is bullshit why is there this like she just... was trans oh for real yeah so there's a whole bunch of places which are just trying to quietly pretend that she wasn't and with the upcoming release of board games based on Mule, there have been more of that creeping shittiness in other spaces, and I think that's awful. And I yeah. think it's very important that we look to our history and recognize the people who have always been part <laughs> of video games. Yeah, like... Danny Bunton deserves better. Yeah. She helped create this industry. Yep. Yeah, I get, can, frankly, that's fucking inspiring. People bitching about all these oh newcomers to gaming bringing their social agendas and blah blah blah. No, we were fucking. We've been here for a long, long time. Other things that happened in 1998: the Neo Geo Pocket was released. Bandai's Wonder Swan was released. The Wonder Swan is such a good name. (laughs) The Saturn was discontinued in the US and Europe, but not in Japan. (laughs) No, because that's the only place people bought them. There were games for it in Japan. The Game Boy Camera Games with titties. and the Game Boy Color were both released that year. <laughs> the, I think at the same time. Yes. The yeah. Dreamcast, an internet-ready home console, released in Japan in 19... 19- I have one of those sitting in my living room right now. Uh, certain companies... I still have mine, too. There's a certain ecology of companies that happened at this point. Activision ate a company called CD Contact and Head Game. <laughs> IDOS acquired Crystal Dynamics... Uh, electronic well, that was kind of a big deal. IDOS, sorry, Electronic Arts consumed both Virgin Studios and Westwood. Mm-hmm. Virgin and Wood. Uh, yeah. Square. Sorry, I, that was really a lowest common denominator <laughs> kind of joke. I apologize. Square uh, and Electronic Arts formed Square Electronic Arts LLC to publish mm-hmm. Square titles in the US. Huh. Havas. Now, this, this is a name that is not going to ring a bell, but Havas 
which is a subsidiary of Vivendi, acquired Sendent Software. Sendent Software owned Blizzard and Sierra. Oh, I didn't know Blizzard had a yeah. parent company at that stage. Yeah, and now they're owned directly by Vivendi. Right, yes. Lego Media was established by the Lego Group. <laughs> wow. Dwango, recognizing that oh. uh, the TCPIP had basically murdered it, discontinued uh, the business. And companies, the, the following companies founded in 1998. Breakaway, Elixir, Metro 3D, Sunrise, Wild Tangent, Loki, Troika, Rockstar. Whoa. Whoa. Goodness me. Yeah. So, Troika made one of the best games ever. Is it? Uh, is this name. pathologic? No, that was Ice Pick Lodge. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, they made Arcanum and they made Vampire the Masquerade, right? They sure as hell made Arcanum. Yeah. Ah. So... We're just going to go straight down. Um, by the way, according to the Wikipedia page, this is considered the 1994 of movies of video games. So, <laughs> thank you, Wikipedia. What this, what this is, what 1998 is, is the 1999 of video games of video games in 1998. Yeah. So. We're not going to be able to do a full guessing game for everything on this list. Like, this is basically a year of almost nothing but the hits. And if I start going to the obscure, weird stuff, we're probably going to lose a lot of time we could spend talking about cool things. <clears throat> However, we will bring up. We, we will at some point in the future break out the weird shit. Yes. By the way, just from for this context, year. there is only one thing I know for sure about 1994 in movies, but that thing is The Lion King. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, there, there's your uh, indicator. So, who remembers. Capcom Dreamcast games. I remember Marvel vs. Capcom. Which was released on January 12th. Jesus Christ. In 98? In 1998. Hey! Jesus Christ. That's how the year starts. <laughs> how we start. <laughs> it's a damn fine game. How is there not more Ruby Hard fan art? She was I, fucking rad. Yeah, and and the, the Shumagarath that got used in <laughs> oh, yeah. in Marvel vs. Where was he supposed to be from? He's a Marvel character. Well, he, I see. It, they, they are a Marvel that's... character. Actually, given the way that they contextualize it in Marvel comics now, probably he. Right. Uh, but Shumagarath is was a fairly minor character that was used in the game because the Japanese artist at Capcom went, that's a really cool thing, I think I can do something with that. <laughs> and it has basically brought Shumagarath forward in Marvel prominence. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but pretty good fight game. I enjoyed playing on the Dreamcast. Nice and responsive and fast. Also, one of the few times I've seen a really good visual fusion of, of a lot of Western design elements. Yeah, God, I love seeing the anime-ish illustrations of all the Marvel characters. They look fucking cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, in January, still in January, uh, a sequel to what was at the time the defining horror survival game. Oh, Silent Hill 2? Resident Evil 2. I, oh. Had to be one or the other. Yep. <laughs> um, how about a tactical RPG? Just a tactical RPG. Just a tactical RPG? Yeah, on the PlayStation 1. It's gonna be, oh, PlayStation oh 1. Final Fantasy Tactics. Final Fantasy Tactics 1 came out <laughs> and kind of created a genre. <laughs> ah, yes. Uh, Princess with really. devoted bodyguard West, genre. Yeah, actually, yeah, Jeb's right. It, there was definitely like Ogre Battle and Fire Emblems in Japan. Dude, yeah, Fire Emblem was on the NES, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But the PlayStation 1 release of Final Fantasy Tactics is kind of how America got oh, to know about this front, thing. And front Mission? Mm. Uh in the same way as Final Fantasy VII is sort of how America got to know about the JRPG. That's a good point. Hmm. Actually, that might not be true. I I know some it, Final Fantasies it, and... Final Fantasy VII broadened. Like, Chrono Trigger the, actually got a release in the US, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. But Final Fantasy VII is the one that everybody bought. <laughs> it was pretty much the first JRPG that hit here because the Nintendo consoles were not big in uh, in Australia on account of they went, Australia? Next up, we have a long-standing license that has run on the NES that suddenly got access to CD storage and decided, what we really need to do is make our game enormous uh, and let you have well, lots of players. I would say Final Fantasy VII, but it's nope. not because that's a little earlier. It's a little, yeah, it's, it's not. You, lots seven. of players, you said? Lo- you can have up to four players of this normally two-player game. <laughs> uh... It uses an established, beloved Japanese character. Is this a Bomberman It game? is a Bomberman game! Oh, hey, gosh. It's Bomberman World! <laughs> Which, they were like, well, how, how much data does it take to store a Bomberman level? Oh, that little... How much do is we have on a CD? Ten, is this the one with the ten Bomberman? Yes. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is PlayStation. Yes. So you could have four players, but you had to buy the peripheral. Yes! <laughs> and there's a version where there's ten Bomberman. That, by the way, is, is one reason I will always prefer the recent Nintendo consoles. Like, the, the fact that the 64 just had four players right off the bat. That mm. was of great value to me. Mm. Uh, next up, we have a hybrid music fighting video game for the PlayStation. Ooh. Published by Phoenix. Hybrid music fighting. Oh, I feel like I should really know this. Its Japanese name is an English version of its English name. <laughs> Um, oh wait, no, it's that's slightly no. different. My bad. Wait a minute. What, uh, no, Space Channel Number Five wasn't a fighting no, uh, no. hybrid, and that was a Dreamcast oh. game. Oh, did you specify PlayStation? I specified PlayStation. Sorry, I missed that. Uh, uh, it, characters can do things like paint a wolf's head, which then bites the opponent, or Sweet. traps the opponent in a gas chamber. A giant hamburger squishes your opponent. A giant flame comes down on your opponent. An autographed picture of yourself crashes onto the opponent. Music, you say? Music. Uh, wow, I don't know. I, I assume it's one of the early PlayStation Rhythm games that I don't recognize. Uh, it's like a um, Jammer Lamy or something? Its name was changed in the West because Puzzle Bobble was using the name it was going to. Huh. Uh, yeah, I got nothing. It was said to... F- oh, Bust a Move. Bust a Groove! Yes! I did not know that was a fight game. Wow. Mmm. And the characters in it are bonkers. Just... <laughs> You, you you have a character called Pinky Diamond who summons giant tarot cards that fall around your opponent and curse them. Or Shorty, who has funk dance candy hip-hop grooves that crushes her opponent with giant pieces of candy. And then down the bottom you have Strike, who shoots the opponent with his gun. <laughs> <laughs> There's always one guy. There's always one guy who's not on the same page. Just not working in the spirit of the exercise. Well, that look, sounds like something that should get remade, frankly. I used, I used to play in a superhero uh, role-playing game, and my, my everyone else had their fancy characters, and mine was Guy with a Gun. <laughs> <laughs> my my arch rival was another guy with a bigger gun. Mine was, what if Tony Stark was also Edward Elric? <laughs> Next up, we have... Oh, great. So this is, this is one of those instances where a game is kind of, like, iconic, but also really hard to specifically define. It's a role-playing game. Mm. It was on the Sega Saturn. It, it's part of a franchise, and that franchise has continued even to, like, two years ago. A new game came out in this franchise. Drakengard? Uh, no. Uh, actually, I just gotta double check that it's not actually part of that. <laughs> Does it have a <laughs> name that has Draken in it somewhere? Not Draken, but something like that. So, <laughs> you can understand the, uh, the confusion. Uh, this game was, 
single player. Wait, did Panzer Dragoon have a game come out lately? Yes. Yeah, there was there was a, a, another Panzer Dragoon game a couple of years ago. Yes, this is Panzer Dragoon Saga. Oh yeah, there was a, there was a Crimson Dragoon <laughs> game came out a couple of years ago. Yeah, I don't think I that, have it. <laughs> I don't think those two franchises are related, right? Like it doesn't have no. anything to do with Dragon uh, I don't think. I don't know. They certainly refer to Panzer Dragoon like in the in the marketing for Crimson Dragoon. No, no, in Dragon Guard. Oh no. Yeah, that's just a different dragon. Yeah. I know Dragon Guard is it. tied to some other franchise name. Mm. But Near. I didn't think it was Panzer Dragoon. Yeah, Crimson Not Dragon Near. is an Crimson Dragon is an Xbox One release. And yeah, Dragon Guard is the one I think that relates to uh Nia, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause, okay, then yeah. it's also tied to something else which has a much closer name to what it has. Because Dragon Guard isn't weird enough. The the flying babies bombing New York City, <laughs> that's not weird enough. We need to involve Nia. Everything that's going on with Nier. Yeah. Hey, next up, we have a mascot game with a mascot who loves television. Loves television? And movies. Gex. Gex. The very first Gex okay. game. Enter the Gecko. Okay. Oh. Listen. Listener. Listen. <laughs> what you, do what your name. Gex is not as bad as everyone says it. <laughs> Gex is fucking cool. Yes. <laughs> I, I will fight you 1v1. <laughs> I want to see this as a box quote. Gex is not as bad as everyone says it is. Jebrech. Fight you. Fight you. <laughs> Dana Gould voiced. Who, who is a writer for The Simpsons. He voiced uh, Gex in the United States. <laughs> and his Wikipedia all the, page. All the levels, all the levels are, are, are based on various movies and TV shows. And he has a bunch of awful one-liners. That's great. Oh, no. <laughs> but Jeb. Did you know that there's a second voice actor for Gex? There's a second voice actor in, for Gex? In English, he's voiced oh. in the British version by Leslie Phillips, CBE, who was born in 1924 and is renowned <laughs> for his exaggerated upper-class accent. Oh, that's amazing. He was the person who played the parody of James <laughs> Bond in the Carry On films. He was which in the Harry because, Potter movies. Which is good, because one of Gex's, of course... Alter Egos is, in fact, a James Bond spoof. I thought that was entirely what he was, because that's the only art I've ever seen of him. Le- Leslie Phillips is friends with, was friends with Peter O'Toole. Like, that's the kind of voice you're getting out of Gex. <laughs> Next up, we have a game that... Yeah, I, the main thing I know about this is that it's got kind of a horrifying claymation aesthetic coupled with a generally renowned good soundtrack. Okay, um, is it an adventure game? Uh, it's an adventure game. Is it a Neverhood? Oh, oh sorry. It, yes, it is Neverhood. Sorry, it's Neverhood related. It's a platform game for the PlayStation, not a not an adventure game what, like the it, Neverhood. It's the sequel to the Neverhood. There was a sequel to the Neverhood called Skull Monkeys. <laughs> oh, that's rather different. Yes, made by that is very different than Neverhood. Now, remembering just how much money is involved in doing claymation like Neverhood, you kind of need a big big pile of money behind this so guess who published skull monkeys dreamworks interactive <laughs> sounds about right <laughs> february short month fewer things going on how about one of the densest jrpgs full of religious symbolism of all time oh i, I was gonna say speaking into but nope. that's gotta be a persona uh, no. Well, not a Persona, but a uh, Mega Ten? Shin Megami. No, no, not a Mega Ten at all. Oh. Uh, this was its own beast. It was designed to fit on a PlayStation disc, and therefore it's fucking enormous. Um, How many PlayStation discs are there? Uh, 
dang, it doesn't actually show easily on the page anywhere I can find it. Uh, it's a science fiction role-playing game developed and published by Squaresoft, released on fe- February 11th. Star Wars and Second Story? Nope, nope. It's re-released as a greatest hit title. Romantic saga? The no, principles and philosophies of Friedrich Nietzsche, Sigmund Freud, and Carl Jung influence the plot, character design, and world. The symbols and theological concepts and devotional practices of several world religions are represented in fictionalized forms in the game. Major psychological uh... themes are the nature of identity and human memory, particularly as those relate to the phenomenon of dissociative identity disorder. The relationship between humanity and machines is central to the game's plot, as indicated by the presence of giant robots, which almost each playable character gets to control. Xenogears. Yes. Oh, right. Yeah. Holy shit, Xenogears uh, came out as well. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> and, and Xenogears is kind of a good game. Of course they have that philosophy angle. That's like what all the subtitles are about, isn't it? Yes. I've, I've never, in a, never even like approached playing it. It's just so tense. <laughs> do, do you have a year to play one game? No. I sold a sealed copy of the second one on eBay for a friend. People really like factory sealed copies of Xenogears too. Alright, how about a Sony Music Entertainment action-adventure stealth game that kind of defined stealth on the PlayStation 1? Taint Metal Gear Solid. You s- no, not Metal Gear. Sony Music? Sony Music They're Entertainment still Japan. They're calling themselves Sony Music Entertainment, but it doesn't imply it's a music thing, uh, right? Devel- developed by Acquire. It's not a music yeah, thing. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's a Tenchu. It's Tenchu! Hey. The Tenchu. first Tenchu game, 1998. It had to be that old Metal Gear, basically. <laughs> I was going to say, Metal Gear Solid kind of, kind of defined stealth on the... Mm, tr- well, no, because there weren't really any other stealth games like Metal Gear Solid on the system. No, they were mostly trying yeah, to be like Tenchu. That's true. Yeah. Uh, next, also in that same month, you have James Bond 007 on the Game Boy Advance, which, ah, fine. Sorry, sorry, the Game Boy, not the Game Boy Advance. The Game Boy Advance re-release is what they got the picture from. Um, and Star Wars Rebellion, which was a 4X RTS in the Star Wars setting, and it has its fans. Like, in my own personal play, I will at least say it is a glorious failure. What console's that? It was a PC game. Right. Um, it, 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 it. Star Wars Rebellion's flaw, if it has one, like, one single thing wrong with it, is that it is trying to reach too wide. <laughs> but then again, it's trying to be Masters of Orion in real time. <laughs> yes, how how silly. That could never work. <laughs> Next up. I'm just assuming StarCraft happens later on this list. Next up, we have a game about adorable dinosaurs smuggling babies. Yoshi's Island. Island. Oh, my bad. No, this is not the one about smuggling babies. This is the one about adorable dinosaurs uh, having a good time and being friends with one another and speedrunning the game for a minute. Yoshi's Island 64. Yoshi's Story. Yeah. Which is Yoshi's Island 64, pretty much. Uh, a World Cup game came out at the same time. I do believe that just got a Wii U Virtual Console release, I think. Oh! It's one of the things you can get free credits for if you're buying other games. Well, that's cool. Next up, we have the attempt of a 3D shooter to go from being a linear, tightly controlled, uh, closed quarter, zero gravity kind of spaceship game to a gigantic open world thing where you dive in and out of mines. Descent 2? Descent Free Space. Free Space? Oh. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Again. Not a particularly successful attempt, or? The problem was Descent was almost perfect, and Descent Ah. 2 was, hey, you liked Descent, here's more Descent. Here's all the descent you could ever descend. So this is like when they made the first Metroid Prime, who we were like, but Super Metroid was perfect. Yeah, yeah, who wanted this? Like, it's not a bad game, it's just, who wanted this? Me? It was, at the very <laughs> least, jarring at the time. Yeah, and it also it meant that Free Space had to compete with a game called Terminal Velocity, which Windows uh, 95 had bundled free. <laughs> so, 
Kind of hard. With MMX support. Yeah. Old school 3D rendering <laughs> software. Okay, okay, listener. Um, back when we were younger, um, there was this technology called MMX, which was on the CPU Whoa. that enabled better graphics processing. And that's probably why I've never heard of it then. Our, our computer was garbage in those days. <laughs> 1998 might be the year we upgraded to Windows 95. I'm not sure. Games like games would have like on the packaging support for MMX, so you knew it was badass. <laughs> you know what I do remember though? Yeah. Setting uh, sound card settings. Like, yeah. Every game started with your IRQ. Yeah, and, and your DMA. Yeah. So next up, we have a game that's the seventh game in its franchise, and the franchise was still good. Uh, it came out on the Neo Geo and the arcade cabinet at the same time. It's the King of Fighters? Close. It's Riru Bauto Garo Densetsu 2, the newcomers. Real Bout Legend of the Hungry Wolf 2, also known as Real Bout Fatal Fury 2, the newcomers, and Real oh, Bout Fury. Newcomers okay. Fatal Fury 2. So Fatal Fury is basically a King of Fighters game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what the... Like, the naming department just kept <laughs> adding names. Yeah. Just, it's like a sandwich. <laughs> put some more name on there, it'll be great. Uh, we have a game about playing a, a gorgeous woman whose jeans get ripped up steadily as you deal with some deeply unsettling themes about symbiosis and the integrity oh, those of the body. Genes. Yeah, those two. Oh, Parasite Eve? Parasite Eve. Uh, a game I have not yet been able to play, but a friend of mine, uh, Caitlin Gad, the Gatland Cad, has repeatedly remarked upon as being a greatly beloved game. Hmm. Parasite Eve is quite the interesting uh, piece of work. Um, if you're familiar with Vagrant Story... Oh, yeah. Anybody? Yep. Anybody? I'm Anybody familiar with the chests you know of combat? the heroes from Vagrant Story. Do you remember? You remember the combat in Vagrant Story? No, yeah. I mostly remember with like the, costumes. the with like the with like the rage like the the range orb. Yeah, hail orb. That's the combat in Parasite Eve. I remember. There's also a thing about how you can dive into things' bodies and teleport out into other things' bodies. Ugh. Just not in the first one. Uh, all the mitochondria, which yeah. are the. The, uh, the power supply of the cell. The, of the cell. <laughs> I, could, uh, I could dive into things while he's in Vagrant Story. Damn. <laughs> Next up. Oh yeah, Parasite Eve. Parasite Eve 1 is good. <laughs> 2 and 3 kind of went whew, off the rails. <laughs> is it an action game? or What was that? Sorry. I mean, like, I had the impression it was a horror game from the name. Sort of. Oh, it's, a, it's like a survival horror RPG. Right, right. So, next up. We have a role-playing video game developed by Square for the PlayStation and released in Japan. Uh, it takes Take a story. <laughs> it takes place in a science fantasy universe called The Regions. It has a free scenario system which offers a large amount of non-linear gameplay, allowing the player to freely travel between many of the regions and interact with other characters and take part in turn-based combat. It enjoyed commercial success. Just, again, 1998. Different world. It enjoyed... Commercial success sold selling over a million copies being generally well received. <laughs> a million copies. It's fine. <laughs> well, it was in those days. Uh, it's been re-released multiple times. Uh, it had a, it, it, It's a continuation of a long-running series. Uh, it was the seventh game in that series and the first one on the PlayStation. Um, it had a scenario? Yeah, yeah. Really, really weird game. Like, you could just go, like, I'm sick of playing these character storylines right now. I'm going to jump over somewhere else. Um, oh, oh, this is, uh, this is, uh, Sacred Frontier. Yes, it is! God, I love that game. And I just want to give you the names of the, of, of, of the, the characters focusing the plot. In that you have Acellus. Acellus. Blue. Imalia. Loot. Red. Riki. Hmm. And 
T26OG. And Steve. <laughs> and Steve. Oh, oh, God. I can talk about Romantic Saga. Or, saga Frontier oh, for you. Romantic Saga. <laughs> Did the, is there a, it's capitalized with Weird. a capital G, isn't yep. it? Is there any uh, reason look, for that? It looks neat. Okay, just checking. I, I thought having some experience with it, you might know. I fucking love Saga Frontier. That is hella cool. On the... Like, okay, loot. Okay, Go I, I'm going to tell you about loot. Because Loot's story is literally, hey, you're sitting around, you're not doing anything around the house, you and your ogre buddy go get a job. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That is Loot's story. (laughs) Loot is a hobo with a, well, a loot (laughs) and an ogre. If you're a hobo with a loot, I'm pretty sure you're a bard. (laughs) Um, Riki, uh, Riki is one of the monster, is a monster character. They transform into other monster characters by eating monster meat. Monster meat. Use that to make, and, well, Riki will transform into other characters by eating particular meat. Uh, T, I don't remember. Particular meat is my OKCupid profile. The the robot, (laughs) the robot characters get, you get extra robot parts and you can make new robots of them. Uh, Red is... A Sentai, a Super Sentai story. <laughs> I'm not joking. So these are differently genreed stories as well within the one. Game? Yes, you... yes, they are. And by are the way, the cover art for this Amelia thing... Amelia's story is like a Charlie's Angels thing. And, and by the way, the cover of Saga Frontier is a Sumei watercolor. <laughs> Sumei watercolor. It, you do not get any hint of what you're getting into. <laughs> You are getting into something magical. Work for Final Fantasy. We are going to see some shit. <laughs> so is it, um, different genres, is it like different time periods? Are you jumping around between totally disconnected stories? No, it's all it... happening at the same time. It's all happening at the same time. Everyone, uh, You'll run into the other characters in your story, right. in the other character stories. <laughs> and in some cases have to like, fight them. You'll go, you'll go to like a, like, you'll be playing as one character, you'll go to a bar and there's loot just sitting around getting drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely interested in this. Oh, I think it's, you'd love it. It's so good. And it's available on the PSP via the PlayStation Network. So, just so you know, if you wanted another RPG to play on the bus... <laughs> I do fucking... Which is basically, you get like seven. <laughs> I do fucking love playing old school RPGs on the PSP. Just They scale really nicely. They look amazing. Saga Frontier came out on March 31st. Also on March 31st, 1080 Snowboarding. About which I don't know enough Ooh. to make a whole bunch of reasonable guest jokes. Ooh. I see a That's lot of a copies one. of that at the cash converters. But yeah, it's it's it was well loved and well regarded. Cash converters. It was it was uh, very much a ten eight snowboarding is very much your standard fare for the Nintendo sixty four. Mm-hmm. And it was a very nineteen ninety eight fun. Mm-hmm. It was a fun multiplayer game. Mm. It was a game you could play if you didn't have snowboard kids. And also a game that I didn't know about existing at all called Blasto. Does Blasto ring any bells? Oh. Not me. Okay, so Blasto is an action platformer with a difficulty curve more comparable to a difficulty cliff, where you are playing an overmuscled, dim-witted space captain traveling around trying to save the day and bag alien babes. And same, the protagonist is voiced by Phil Hartman. Of course he is. <laughs> okay. Two months before his death. Wow. Is the last thing he did aside from random bits of The Simpsons? Yes, this is March 31st, which is also the day that esports began. Began? Is this StarCraft? StarCraft came out. (laughs) 
one day you had the shelf stocker at like Best Buy, sorry, at, at like GameStop or whatever the heck the games game stores are called in the United States. The listener, I don't know. I'm, I'm faking being kind in of culture. In 1998, you have one guy who's sitting there putting Saga Frontier, Starcraft, Blasto, and Tenety Snowboard all on the shelf, going, "I wonder if anything will come of our art form." <laughs> Let me be fair, StarCraft was anticipated. It was something people wanted. Yeah, true. StarCraft. Like, it was, we were, so it was we were more thirsty like, for StarCraft. So, so, so like, like the 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 the, per, the person the the person doing the stocking was like putting up a copy of Blasto, a copy of Saga Frontier, <laughs> a copy of 1080 Snowboarding, a copy of StarCraft, a copy of StarCraft, <laughs> a copy of StarCraft, a copy of Star- one for the shelf, one for me. Then they then they scratched their <laughs> scratched themselves through their hypercolor t shirt while their snap bracelets rattled quietly. <laughs> You were presuming the shelf stockers weren't like 12. (laughs) Also, next up, we jump to April, where we have the first Games Workshop video game. Ah, you know what you should have said? Like the first official one. And then they proceeded to the next shelf quickly because they were on their rollerblades. (laughs) (laughs) Is this Dark Harris? Not Dark Harris. Dark Omen. uh, Dark Omen. Yeah, yeah, Warhammer Dark Omen, which was a game. Next, we have a continuation of a long-running series about <laughs> magical powers and strategy and turn-based play. And at this point, they went, hey, we can do hot seat play for a lot of players for this game. So if we make our maps enormous and let players roam around fighting things... What mm-hmm. is hot seat play? Hot seat play is where the game will let you finish your turn and then say, all right, let the next player take the take the tear. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh this was not a, it's not a common play type you see anymore but it was a really common thing for multiplayer strategy games especially yeah. turn-based ones in the 90s it's heroes of might and magic might and magic 6 the mandate of heaven right here's might and magic 2 still the best one <laughs> and he will fight you uh, now if you want to be super technical yeah the best of the series is the original king's bounty yeah, King's Bounty is really cool though the advertising of a king's bounty has gotten weirdly sexy Weird. Like, there's apparently Vampire Snow White as the icon of the car- of the series now. Is one of is the for uh, Dark Princess, yeah. Right. Uh, also, the only other game that came out in April at this point is a PlayStation One game called Point Blank, where I don't know anything about this game, but its Japanese name was Gun Bullet. <laughs> Good. Good. I'm on board. Except it wasn't grim, gunny, shooty kind of action on the cover. What you have is a pink and white starburst of an absent-minded-looking professor with a giant mustache sitting at the bottom of the picture, and sitting on top of his head is a bright green toucan wearing headphones. I am on board for everything you just described. (laughs) Yeah, see, the professor is sitting there going, reach, two, all bullets come out of guns, or am I just imagining that? (laughs) Next up, we have a side-scrolling shooter developed by Square for the PlayStation, which... Could easily have gotten completely lost this year. Einhander? Yes, Einhander. <laughs> well done, Jeb. Yeah, really well done. Uh, it's what else am I going to think when you say Square made a fucking shooter? Yeah, and and you're like, hey, we have how much art asset we could put on a CD disc? Oh my goodness, we're going to make <laughs> this draw look- everything. We're going to put all the bloom on things. <laughs> Fuck that! Quick, hire someone for the soundtrack. We have the first entry of a car racing franchise that's still going. Gran Turismo? Gran Turismo. We have The Quake Killer. Like, the game that Half-Life. actually... No. The game that actually managed to first time make a dip in Quake... Uh, oh, Unreal? Uh, Unreal. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> and it was the other more different engine. Yeah. Uh, just just inexplicably, Unreal is... It's really, really good. And it was a, a technical... 
uh, full, full of much more shortcuts and clever design ideas than uh, the much more stringent <laughs> id software design philosophy allowed for. Right. Which meant that because they were willing to cheat, they were willing to do a lot more stuff that allowed for cinema. Uh, better skyboxes, a whole bunch of really fun ideas. Like in, in id software, when a 3D object flies across the screen, it is the same 3D object at the point where it starts and the point where it concludes. Whereas in Unreal, they're like, Look, when it's the size of a pixel, I'm going to stop fucking rendering this thing. <laughs> uh, right. There's a much easier way to describe how important that was. The entire industry runs on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Next up, and I'm jumping over games like Jersey Devil and Vigilante 8, because I don't know... <laughs> hey, them. wait, wait, no. Uh-oh. I don't know those games. Oh, well, okay. Vigilante 8 was like a like a, a, car, a vehicle combat uh, game that had sort of like a... I just saw the cover art. ...aesthetic to it. I just saw the cover art. Okay, fine. We're going to come back to this game some point. <laughs> the cover art is a school it's bus cool. covered in Gatling guns. Yep. <laughs> on fire. Uh, Jersey Devil was... You play a superhero who's a demonic cow? You know how uh, X-Men versus Capcom went down earlier in the year? Yeah. What came next? Wait, that was Marvel versus Capcom. Sorry, Marvel versus Capcom. Uh... It's X-Men versus Street Fighter. I uh, oh, there was an X-Men versus Street Fighter. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Which at some point was there criticized for... something in there that wasn't uh, served by having Marvel versus Capcom. Yeah, so so apparently Wolverine in this was criticized for having the same animation cycles as Blankart, which I think is a little unreasonable. <laughs> what else? Oh, no. What the he, hell else he were they going to do with him? He, he, he hunches forward and, and kind of, like, lurks. <laughs> kind of both characters' thing. Next up, in June, on June 30th, we have the release of a franchise starter on the N64. It's a very kid-friendly franchise. Smash Brothers. Nope. Boo! It's a bit less a bit less violent. Uh, it's a big explorer map. It's go and go and collect all the things and, and solve all the worlds. Nope, nope, nope. More uh, more focused on two specific characters who you travel together with as one. A collector map that started on the 64. Yeah. Banjo Kazooie. Banjo Kazooie. In 1998, the same year that StarCraft came out, Banjo-Kazooie kicked off. That started on the 64? Yes. Mm-hmm. Fuck, I was zoned out of American games. <laughs> it didn't take until nuts and bolts for the games to get good. <laughs> Next up, we have a game which... <clears throat> uh, it's renowned for a protagonist character now more than it's renowned for its actual game because he got ported to Smash Brothers. Hey. He's got a couple of stages too. Uh, he's got a really obnoxious catchphrase. Oh, this is uh, F-Zero-X. F-Zero-X on the N64. <laughs> Next up, we have a game that Jeb talked about last week at length. At length? Yes. Uh, and you had it on the PlayStation 1 and... Oh, uh, it's uh, Star Ocean. Star, Star Ocean 2. Second Story. Yes. Which again, this... It's all happening this same it's the same fucking year that had Final Fantasy Tactics, Xeno Saga, Saga Frontier... If you liked JRPGs... And Star Ocean... <laughs> What I'm really impressed by is how much I missed out on in this year, because it was... Jesus Christ. There was just so Christ. much stuff, I didn't have any damn money. How about... How the fuck did you play all of those? <laughs> how about, uh... Now, now he, he will... Oh, fuck! Parasite Eve came out this year, too! We're not done yet! Save us virtual... Co- yeah, we're halfway through the year at this point. Yep. Also, if... This, this is more of a, a historical note from the PC side of things. This is also the month where Commandos Behind Enemy Lines came out, which is... That game owns! A really good top-down strategy game... With uh, it's real time and squad. It's a real time strategy puzzle game. Yeah, and it was re released on GOG when the GOG develop when the GOG crew found that the game had been being played continuously on <laughs> multiplayer servers 
since release. Wow. Like, there wasn't a period where this game faded and then came to resurgence. No, there are people who have been playing this game for 11 years. At this the never point got to be retro. The... No. <laughs> it's always hard when you just do the game the best the first time. Like, where do you Commandos. go from there? <laughs> Commandos is really good. Like, it, it has a lot of personality to it, too. Mm-hmm. Like, not it's not, like, charming or anything like that. It's obviously, like, worker. Uh, it, it's very World War II. <laughs> but, the, but the individual characters... Like, the individual units are each, uh, for for what the game is, decently characterized. Yeah. And in one of the levels, you get a dog. Dog! In the air. <laughs> Speaking of dogs, and I think this is one where I'm going to be the person who knows the who knows this game. Fallout 2. No. Fallout uh, 1. No. This is a platform game developed by Amazing Studio and published by Ocean Software and Interplay Entertainment mm-hmm. for the PlayStation and Windows. It was A Game Boy Advance port was announced in 2001, but was never released. You play a child named Andy rescuing his dog. This game was supervised by Eric Chahi, and the mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and the <laughs> music is by a composer named Bruce Broughton. Bruce Broughton what has Chahi too. Uh, Br- Bruce oh, Broughton. He's Delphine. I mean, what did what did Chahi do? Chahi is the Delphine software guy. Yeah, that's who. Yeah. That's who he means. He's, he's out of this world and yeah. all that. Mm-hmm. But uh, Bruce Broughton, as a name, if that doesn't ring any bells to you, um, is responsible for. Buck Rogers in the 25th century's music. He's responsible oh, wow. for the Tiny Toon Adventures theme. He's res- oh, wow. Right. He, he has won over 15 Emmy Awards. He has been nominated for numerous more. He won the, he won the Academy Award for the Best Original Score for Silverado. Bruce Broughton is quite a good composer. Oh, <laughs> also, um, <clears throat> responsible for the Hawaii Five-O theme. Wow. And the Dallas music. And the Gunsmoke theme music. And, yeah. Bruce Broughton, quite an important composer. And he and Eric Chahi worked together on this game called Heart of Darkness. That's what's in Heart of Darkness? That's what's in Heart of Darkness. You're a kid going to rescue a dog? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know someone who LP'd that. And it's... I watched that LP a few months ago. It's a pretty good game. It's not... Amazing, but on the other hand, the music's really good. <laughs> <laughs> Does it look amazing? The controls and the... Uh, okay. It, uh. it, basically, you know how Oddworld looks? Imagine a slightly crap Oddworld. Like, that's the style of animation yeah, you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. I, I was hoping for great things, because usually you can rely on Chahi for that. Yeah, Chahi was not the direct animator. It, it was the first 3D product Chahi worked on, and Chahi... Yeah. You can tell. Yeah. I feel like 3D would have just wrecked his mojo in general because he was so fucking good at sprite and stuff. Uh, Eric Chahi, a a French man whose primary interest when he was going to school was French Impressionism. Really, really good (laughs) at two-dimensional expressions of three-dimensional objects. Not so great at 3D models. It's kind of expectable. Uh, We also have a game called Iggy's Wrecking Balls. I'm just going to mention this name in case Jeb knows something about it because I got nothing. (laughs) Those balls, not my cup of tea. Next up, we have a game developed by... well, this is weird. I thought this guy only sprung into existence this year. Uh, it's it's a game where superior military force indicates who's oh, right. Christ. <laughs> There's a Tom Clancy in 1998. There was a Tom Clancy. In fact, there was almost... You could almost call it the Tom Clancy game. Is this the first Splinter Cell? No. Spear? No, it was the first Rainbow Six. Right. Rainbow Six. Which I know which one of those squad-based tactical first-person shooter. Really good. Really good. The interface is kind of a bag of coat hangers. Like, it's not... It's not mm-hmm. fun to learn. <laughs> but it didn't oh. have questionable themes about military authoritarianism because those are new. 
uh, the 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 Rainbow Six uh, control scheme can be. There, there's buttons. I've seen custom keyboard you can rigs use for it. All the buttons. Sure, somebody's already made this joke, but how is Rainbow Six not a My Little Pony thing? <laughs> Next up, we have an action adventure game released by Capcom. The first title in a subseries of this game, and the first major 3D polygonal port in that franchise. Uh, po- polygonal title in that franchise. Um, it was produced by Keiji Inafune. <laughs> Oh, this is one of the bad Mega Man X games? <laughs> it's not a Mega Man X. It's Mega, oh, it's Man, Mega Man Legends. Wait, did you say 3D? Oh, yes. They made a 3D Mega Man yeah. at this yes. point. Yes. Wow. I guess I shouldn't be too surprised that I haven't heard of this. Uh, you haven't heard of Mega Man Legends? Not in the context of it's a 3D Mega Man. <laughs> I've heard the name in a big long list of Mega Man-ness. Um, uh, there's a lot of people who really like Mega Man Legends. They're wrong. The... <laughs> The Nintendo 64 version of this game has a 33% aggregate score. Oh, wow. And this is a this is a Capcom mainline, you know, we're trying to impress you kind of game. This is not some indie little thing. Mega, Mega Man Legends is the one where they introduce, like, uh, the, uh, where they rip off uh, Wario's rival and make her into villain Trombone. Mm. Oh, that's what Trombone's from. Which is yeah, because yeah. she's kind of cool, but, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, because she's from Wario. Yeah. She's Captain Syrup. <laughs> And They're the same fucking person. She has those little Lego Man as a henchman. And those are cool, but the Mega Man Legends such a bad fucking. Dude. I'm just saying, if she's ripped off from Wario, and they're totally just mini figs. So next step, ne- next next weird step, we have the. Oh, by the way, there's a whole lot of nerds who are angry that Mega Man Legends Three is never getting made, and you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> the one you have in your mind is better than anything Inafune would make right <laughs> Way now. Way better. You it, it will not live up to what you thought it was at once. Uh, so, so this is a game that, I kid you not, is the next game made by the developers of James Pond Robocod, (laughs) under the working title of Dead Man Dan, heavily influenced by Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, that's an action-adventure hack-and-slash video game, developed by Cambridge Studio, and at various points was in development under Cygnosis, Sony, and Sega. Right. Uh, Huh? Well, it's... Idos, who made James Pond in it? No, 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 well, no, the, the developer of James Pond who moved on to a different company. Oh, okay. I can't remember the. It's a game called Medieval. Oh! And what a weird little lineage that is, isn't it? That is very strange. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't have anything bad to say about this game. I remember it being fairly okay, but also kind of forgettable. But at the same mm-hmm. time, who the fuck got involved in the making of this game? How do you get past from Sony to Sega and still have your game come out? If James Pond 2 was Robocard... Yeah. Does that mean he didn't have the armor in the first one? I honestly don't know. If he'd, like, die and get rebuilt. It's kind of a bleak ending for a, you know, fish in a tuxedo. Basically. So, who wants to hear about September 1998? Because, hold on to your hats, <laughs> we're about to see some shit. Bring it. <laughs> I'm gonna just knock out straight ahead... Rogue Trip Vacation 2012, because pff, whatever. And G. Darius. And hell, I'll even Whoa. go so... F- yeah, I know. Tr- trust me. Uh, I'm even going to knock out Need for Speed 3 Hot Pursuit. What? You're going to knock that? Wh- just just hmm? mention those. Is this when Metal Gear Solid came out? This is, in fact, the month of Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> is it the month Goodbye. that we get into? <laughs> and the month... Wait, this would also be the month that Final Fantasy 7 came out? No, no, no. Eight. No. eight. Um, a bigger... Better selling JRPG than Final Fantasy VII came out this month, and no. it has non-stop had sequels since then. Oh wait, did this is did a game? Did you not hear me mention Sweet Into? No, we're not Sweet Into. Okay. 
This Make is, it chill. This is a game the Pope commented on. Oh, Pokemon's not really a JRPG. My ass, it's not a JRPG. No, it's a monster raising thing. That's different. Pokemon Red and Blue came out in the same okay, month yeah. as Metal Gear Solid. Fucking not a JRPG out. if I don't want to fuck anyone in my party. <laughs> <laughs> also, in the same month, it's funny you mentioned Monolith. Because Monolith released a game this month, which was an attempt by a Western audience to capture and fuse together their love of anime and giant mechas and first-person shooters. Uh-oh. Oh. It's it's a sincere effort that's just a tiny bit orientalist. <laughs> From Monolith? From Monolith, yeah. It's, uh... It's Shogo, Mobile Armor Division, okay, yeah. which which had the colossal bad luck to come out when people would still remember Heavy Gear, and Heavy Gear was really good, and Shogo kind of played like a shopping cart. Um, <laughs> but also, uh, you also had the disadvantage of people always remembering MechWarrior Two, yeah, which was still day, good to this day. Also, in the same month, you have a mascot game. Which came out, and you know, sure, it's a PlayStation mascot. It's not the same thing. It, it, you're, Crash Bandicoot? No, not Crash. The it's other Spyro. one. It's a Spyro. Yep. Oh, one of the good ones. Yeah, the first Spyro game. <laughs> okay, yeah. And the release of a director's and? cut of a game whose sequel came out way upstream in this year. Resident Evil. Resident Evil One, the director's cut. Jesus Christ. And also the release of a sequel that the people making it were told you have six months to make this, and they accidentally made. Majora's Mask. No, not a Japanese company, an American and French company. Uh, American and French company? Survival Western RPG. Western. Western. Fallout 2. Fallout 2. One month. Fuck. Holy shit. If you liked video games and your birthday was in September of 1998, (laughs) you got a lot of good shit. You got Metal Gear Solid, Spyro the Dragon, Resident Evil Director's Cut, Need for Speed 3, Hot Pursuit, which isn't a bad game, by the way. I didn't knock that out because of that. Fallout 2, Shogo, Pokemon Red and Blue, and G. Darius. Yeah, we cut G. Darius and Need oh, for Speed 3 out of this that list. That was Red and, Red and Blue uh, yes. in the West? Because 96 is when the franchise actually started, isn't Pokemon it? Red and Blue is the what were launched in September 30th on the Game Boy Color in... Uh, mm-hmm. Yep, in... in uh, in the U.S.? In the U.S., North right. America. North America. the Game Boy Color, I think. Yep. I think. It was uh, February 27, 1996 in Japan, so yeah. Yeah, I thought 96. Was right so yeah, idea. that was some stuff. That was some stuff indeed. So, recovering from that month. Caesar 3. <laughs> October 1st, Caesar 3 came out. So, if you had any free time left... It's just, just... <laughs> like, this, this classic, uh, this classic empire-building game just... Crawling from the remains of September. <laughs> you know what? I did have plenty of time left because I still basically have no consoles at this point. Yep. I think, I believe this is before I even got my Nintendo 64. But let's, I had a Game Gear. Let, let's tell a sad story of Caesar 3, though, because Caesar 3 was good. Caesar okay. 3 was a really good game. But in that same month, you have the release <laughs> of a first-person shooter on the N64. It was a sequel, but it was a good sequel, and it advanced its game really well, and it included split-screen multiplayer uh, Take GoldenEye, is it? No, not, not GoldenEye. No. Good, but you not call GoldenEye. call that a sequel, Hexen? but... <laughs> Sorry? Hexen? No. Uh, Turok 2. Oh. Okay. And you also had the release of one of those iconic, we should have bought more copies of it, LucasArts uh, Adventure Games, which has had a re-release, which so more people get to play it, which is good. Day of the Tentacle. No, Grim Fandango. Grim Fandango, okay. And you had a first-person shooter game by people using the Quake engine to try and tell a cinematic story. Half-Life? Sin. 
Mm-hmm. No, that's oh. not what I was thinking of, but okay. And the thing with Sin is Sin... So, so listen, the listener, remember, this is 1998. Internet is not widespread. Sin at launch needed an 85 megabyte patch. Christ. So people just put it on a floppy disk and shared it around? 85 well, megabytes? like 75 fucking... Across 80 zip files, yes. No. Remember what, they used to be able to be multi-part? What the company who owned Sin did was they contacted all the computer game magazines that had CDs oh, and right. sent them a copy of the patch and paid them to distribute it. <laughs> well, that was a really common way to distribute patches back then. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. You get this disc of like the you first the level demo- of 17 different games and then just a pile of, what is this, patch? What is this, update? But, I don't even... But, but while we're talking about... I remember I remember reading, reading a lot of PC Gamer magazine and it was like, oh, Daggerfall patch. Oh, Daggerfall yeah. patch. Oh, Daggerfall patch. <laughs> Uh, also in this month again again remember season 3 came out on the first day of the month this sort of yes I've got this month to myself also in this month you have a Playstation release of a sequel of a franchise that's defined this by this we get into no god damn it it's Crash Bandicoot 3 warped eh right this is not going to dissuade the season 3 player what What about Microsoft's real time strategy games do you, do you think oh, do you think oh Age, Age of Empires 2 Age of Empires Rise of Rome came out People still play that. That's the okay. expansion pack for Age yeah. of Empires. That's yeah. like, oh, Caesar 2's coming out? Well, <laughs> splat. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Also, in the shooter arena, we have the release of a sequel of a prequel of a sort uh, by Raven Software. Because Raven were given access to the Quake engine, the Quake 2 engine, and told, hey, look, you can do a third-person camera in this one. Oh, <laughs> God, I have no idea. Heretic 2, which was oh. not a sequel to Hexen. It was, a, well, yeah... It was a bit of a weird beast, that. <laughs> was it a sequel to something called Heretic? Yeah, and it was a okay. th- it was a third-person shooter, which also that? had staff fighting in it. And honestly, it was kind of cool, but it suffered from a lot of Hexen's problems. And uh, how about a game about playing a voodoo cowboy quoting schlock movies? Uh, Blood 2, The Chosen. I got mm. nothing. I fucking love Blood. I <laughs> <laughs> Blood, Blood was a build engine game that... Came out as in the in the wake of Duke Nukem 3D, where they were like, we want to try a whole bunch of different aesthetics and get a whole bunch of different types of build games out there to try and kind of capitalize on the 3D market. So you had Duke Nukem 3D, which was very much trying to be basically kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger, John Claude Van Damme, Bruce Willis, all at the same time in a really awkward way, and it had some really kind of backwards views on sex. And then you had Shadow Warrior, which was just straight up racist. And then <laughs> you had in the in amongst these games, which at this point, yeah, they're trying to copy off old movies and they're kind of embarrassing themselves in the process you have blood and in blood they kind of just hit this perfect sweet spot where you are playing an undead voodoo cowboy fighting your way through cultists in this grim western aesthetic but like uh american northwest western kind of thing as opposed to (laughs) like there is a whole level on a train where you get to you know stab people with a with a pitchfork and throw them off it it's it's a really fun game uh but it also because it was much more schlocky than the others, it spent most of its time making fun of itself, and there were mm-hmm. there were basically no women characters in that game, which is a step better than Duke Nukem and Shadow Warrior. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, also, one of the items in Blood Two is you can uh, reach into the chest of certain zombies, tear out their hearts, and then use their hearts as a voodoo toy <laughs> to stab other zombies with. I'm not saying it wasn't racist, okay? Yeah, it was pretty racist. Yeah, <laughs> it was still kind of racist. It's still really racist. Well. It's when you grade on a curve, like Shadow Warrior was really <laughs> racist. Next up, finally, 
limping our way out of October, we have <clears throat> we have a game that it's it's infamous, not famous. It's a game that had a celebrity tie-in. Uh, the people who made this moved on to make the Tony Hawk games. Is this apocalypse. This is apocalypse. Starring Bruce. Willis? Starring Bruce Willis. Ooh. <laughs> um, he's not a very good voice actor. Shoots his way through the shoots his shoots his way through the. The, the four horsemen of the apocalypse all the way to the White House. <laughs> which has been consumed by apocalyptic lava. Sounds like a better version of Darksiders. <laughs> it is. But the voice acting is really not good. Yeah, well, uh, you know, this may be contentious, but I don't think Bruce Willis is a particularly good actor, period. You, you have to listen to him flirt. He's, he's good at being Bruce Willis' disappointing action hero. All right, now we're into November. November, surely the year has run out of shit to drop on us, right? No, because Freaking It 2 hasn't dropped yet. No, it hasn't. In November, we have, just just straight off the cuff, on the first day of November, we have Delta Force. Mm-hmm. Which is, it was it was really good, but, you know, so what, moving on. Next up, we have <laughs> Redefining the First Person Shooter. So Blood 2 came out a few weeks ago, and they're like, great, cool. We've got the drop in our competition. How good can whatever these Valve guys are releasing be? <laughs> Gee, I don't fucking know. <laughs> Who the fuck are these guys? Yeah, a bu- what even is a Half Life? There's a bunch of modders making a making a Quake Two expansion. I'm not scared of that. Well, you know they they were vindicated in this. Valve never amounted to anything. <laughs> Certainly not in the PC no. market. No, no they, they 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 faded fast. The day after Half Life, you have the release of probably one of the most important Nintendo titles of all time. I mean, I heard their latest game they never even got finished. Just left it hanging in the middle. So, so Fox, when I say one of the most important Nintendo titles of all time, and it dropped in this year, Ocarina, Ocarina of Time, obviously, of course, of course, of course, of course, uh, Half Life and Ocarina of Time came one after another. And, and spare a tiny thought because this is a this is a pair of impressive titles, not a trilogy of impressive ti- impressive titles. Because uh, Tomb Raider Three: The Adventures of Lara Croft Aww. came out the same day, and it's sort of uh, it was before the Tomb Raider started unambiguously sucking. Yeah, but it wasn't. It doesn't get remembered in the same breath as yeah. Half-Life and Ocarina. Oh, hell no. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. come on. No, no, no. Uh, we have an expansion poor pack. Fu- poor fucking Delta Force, though. <laughs> yeah, Delta Force, has, Delta Force was a decent game. A solid it 7 out of 10 okay. game. It was a okay <laughs> game. It gave a really good try. You're fucked, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially because Delta Force was a team-based first-person shooter. <laughs> hey, Jeb. <laughs> at the end of this month, Star Siege Tribes came out. <laughs> 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 so long, Delta Force. Sorry, Delta Force. <laughs> I'm filling you. We had a I'm month. You. Um, also, in this month, we have an expansion Let's pack. Remind you though that two of the best first person shooters I ever made came out this fucking month. Yeah, 1998. What was in the water? Uh, an expansion pack for probably the most important RTS of all time. Uh, Brood War came out. Um, two Starcrafts came out this year. <laughs> A first-person stealth game uh, that kind of defined the first-person stealth genre on the PC. Thief. Thief came out. <laughs> a real-time... Are we even... We're in November. We're in November. We're not even in December yet. We're not in December yet. Right. A real-time slash turn-based role-playing game using an official tie-in from one of the most popular Baldur's tabletop... Baldur's Gate? Yep. Baldur's Gate came out. Jesus Christ. And, as if, if, if your genre needs were not met yet, a sequel to Settlers 2... <laughs> What do you want? What do you got? Man, RPGs were big in the late 90s. But December. December. <sighs> Christmas rush. Good. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, December had... So they saved their really good stuff. Well, look, we, we can say comfortably yeah, but... that there actually what, is like, some total We've turn. already... Well, we've named, like, what? Several of, like... The most important games of the generation? <laughs> we've like, named we've several named of the 10? most important games of games at this point. Yes! <laughs> all time! <laughs> like, we, I could, I, I'm sure we've named at least ten of the, the 50 greatest games ever made. Mm-hmm. Uh, Already. And in that company, we do not get to look at South Park's first video game on the N64. Because <laughs> it was bad. Yep. The most notable thing about that game was that one of the weapons was a snowball, you could, and you could pee on it. You could pee on it. That was... Yep. I got drunk and rented it with friends, and it was fun, because we were drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... <clears throat> we also have either the last good or the first bad game in one of the most long-running and kind of important failure franchises. Sonic Adventure? Sonic Adventure. Oh. Yeah, Sonic, Sonic Adventure launched December 23. It is a little depressing that we started this year with Dreamcast titles, and then basically there wasn't another notable Dreamcast title until December, <laughs> and, and, and it was Sonic Adventure. As far as an act of arrogance goes, <laughs> releasing your game on December the 23rd, one shopping day before Christmas, that's got some serious cockiness to it. That's especially harsh, because let's not kid ourselves, you would have needed time to get a Dreamcast as well, because you didn't have one at this point. I, You know, I well, love you, my Dreamcast you, very much, but nobody it's not fucking like you had, had one. Trouble find, not like you had trouble finding them. <laughs> That's true! <laughs> they were That's fucking true. everywhere. Yeah, I, I, they would have had a I lot of stock. in... Uh, 2001, my, my first, my, when I went to uni, by that point, the Dreamcast was like... 40 bucks a pop, like, just sitting around <laughs> electronics department. Here, take one, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, he, this this one's a little obscure because it didn't get a North American release. But it's a Mystery Dungeon franchise game tied in with Final Fantasy. Was oh, Chocobo Final Dungeon. Fantasy Chocobo Dungeon. Cool. Yeah, they are cool. I didn't know that. And now I've really been slow if rolling I'm, If I'm not mistaken, Chocobo Dungeon also had uh, a, um, I don't even remember what they called the things, but, like, PlayStation had this memory card pocket station that's what it's called uh peripheral that only came out in japan mm-hmm. that was a memory card that was also like a like a little tiny oh like the vmu yeah kind of like the vmu and you could do little mini games and stuff for your chocobos and i think chocobo dungeon and uh by the way the release of chocobo dungeon 2 in december 23rd 1998 mm-hmm. it was also available on the wonder swan brilliant but I've, I've really been slow rolling at this point because there are two final titles that came out this year and I'm going to go to Jeb first. Fox? Not not Fox. Not not. Hey, uh, Jeb. Yeah. It's an N64 title. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's tied into one of Nintendo's core franchises. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of redefined multiplayer games for uh, parties. You could say. Oh, uh, Mario Party. Yes, the first Mario Party, which yeah. played that a lot. Drunk too. Which launched on. It was way better. South Park. <laughs> which launched on the 14th of December, so people had some fucking time to buy it. <laughs> So people had time to buy it and also to recover <laughs> the fucking bleeding hand wounds. And, ne- and the broken friendships. Listen, listener, listener, let me tell you a story about Mario Party. You see, the original Mario Party had these games where the you control them by twirling the, the, the analog stick. Oh, and that wasn't the shape easy to of do the on a NES. Oh, no, no, it wasn't. Unless you put the palm of your hand on the, the top of the N64 joystick... And spun as fast as you could. <laughs> no, Jeb, no. Bye-bye. You're having flashbacks. <laughs> I'm not having flashbacks. I'm having sympathy pains. I'm envisioning your hand being shredded. <laughs> being shredded. Well, it got to the point where you could send for to Nintendo to get a glove. 
for your hand mm-hmm. to play the Mario Party with. <laughs> alright, alright. We played so much goddamn Mario Party, though, because those games were so fun. Completely, utterly batshit random. <laughs> like, there is no skill involved. And of course, their long time rival made a, a worthy and, and completely adored. Uh, party game equivalent in uh, Sonic Shuffle, which also yeah, went huge yeah. and has had eight or nine sequels to date. Fox is from a parallel timeline. <laughs> <laughs> it had knights at some point, I think. I right. don't know. Right, Pretty right. sure. So, Fox. Where the Sweet fuck are knights and sm- Yes. Yes. Sweet <laughs> Damn right it is! Sweet 2, which came out the 17th of December 1998, uh, and was apparently <sighs> in the United States... Only shipped about 200,000 copies because they believed mm-hmm. it would not be of particular interest to a Western audience. <laughs> right. Thus, paving the way for eBay resellers to make about $100 per copy for the next 20-ish years. Yeah. Yeah, Swiggin' and 2 is quite a thing, isn't it, Fox? More than 20 years, really. It would be, only be 2008, yeah. No, it didn't get re-released till last year, so... Now... There are two more points in this year. And these are not games that are noteworthy because we love them. These are games that are just worth knowing about because of just interesting historical things. Um, A game called Akuji the Heartless, which is an attempt by a publisher to try and shake off a cutesy image they had. They didn't want to be quite so family friendly. It's like a Conker's Bad Fur Day kind of thing. Is this like a Hudson game or something? Uh, No, this is a game by... Nuts me! This is a game by uh, Crystal Dynamics. Oh. Uh, And, uh... You take a predator, right, and then try and make a non-copyright infringing human version of the predator with okay, legally, legally unique and distinct. All right, yeah. Isn't that guy in Killer Instinct? Sorry, isn't that guy in Killer Instinct? And now make it a voodoo shaman. Uh, oh. oh dear. Yeah, Akuji the Heartless was developed by the same people who earlier this year had released Gex. Right. Nice. It used the same engine. It of course, it used did. some of the same art assets. Oh, God. Akuji did not get received very well, and that's all that's worth knowing about that. But the other thing is... A re- this is this is just purely interesting. Uh, Falcon 4.0. Does this ring any bells for you, Jed? It does not. Mm-hmm. Okay. This w- unless, it's a Jane, unless it's a Jane's game? No. Not quite a Jane's game. Uh, Falcon 4.0 was a microprose released game to try and uh, capture the, the, the Eurofighter same wing of people, the hyper-realistic flight simulator. Yeah, okay, so... Yep. Same... I, I played a bunch of micro of the Microprose uh, simulators. Microprose was purchased by Hasbro. Officially, development of Falcon 4.0 ended. In April 2000, the source code for Falcon was leaked online, oh. which led to the fan community taking over... And becoming the new redevelopment structure for this com- for this game, which included institu- instituting multiplayer, uh, online multiplayer, upgrading various bug fixes and patches, and maintaining the product for seven years without official oversight, leading to Hasbro purchasing that code base off them and re-releasing the game. <laughs> it was picked up. It was basically a game maintained by its fans with a dynamic. Dynamic Engine, in 2013, the game was was re-released officially. I just thought that's a really beautiful little story. Atari are a little salty about it, but... Eh. <laughs> it, I, I'm not super sympathetic to Atari's plight in life. <laughs> they dug their own grave. 1998! I fucking told you so! Yeah, so that was 1998. Uh, By the way, uh, Sacred Frontier. Also, I mentioned one of the, the, 
the stories is literally a Sentai series. Yeah. Uh-huh. One of the, the gimmicks of it is that you can't use your Sentai powers when other when other living <laughs> when there are other living party members can there see you see you transform <laughs> which is why you replace your party with robots <laughs> actually that would be a whole great um sort of like a stealth action game angle like you can only do the sentai transformation when you can't be seen that's so a fantastic idea if you are inside you have to pretend to be a harmless human and just avoid things yeah so we, we think it's very reasonable that you could put together a compilation of just games from 1998 yeah. and give them to someone and keep them entertained for a good fucking long while. If you had to pick a year and you could only they're ever have games still, from that year, this would be a very strong choice. They're still keeping people entertained. Yeah, Star Siege tribes, they had to kill the servers multiple times and they still kind of aren't happy about bootleg service. I believe there is still a StarCraft esports scene. Yeah, there is... I, like, you know, StarCraft 2, yes, it succeeded. Yeah, it went big. It definitely has a, a full, fully-fledged league and everything. But there's still a StarCraft 1 league as well at Lost Chat. <laughs> yes. The industry runs on Unreal. <laughs> Baldur's Gate is responsible for uh, third-party companies like, um, like Wizards of the Coast collaborating with video game developers. Baldur's Gate still has a modding community. <laughs> Oh, Half-Life, that's right. There are people porting Half-Life to Half-Life 2. <laughs> and I think Pokemon has the biggest multiplayer representation out of it. I'm, I'm just making a Twitch joke. <laughs> and, yeah, the, these are. this is not just a time of good games. This is a time of enduring, amazing classics. The fact that this is, a, the fact that this is quite reasonably a year where if you were a JRPG fan, you might have missed... Saga Frontier or Parasite Eve or or um, Xenogears just because there was that much good stuff. The year started with Final Fantasy Tactics. Yeah! <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, this year was amazing. You could grab one of the JRPGs that came out this year and play it probably all year. <laughs> That's pretty much what I did with Pokemon. Ocarina of Time and Banjo-Kazooie. What? Like, uh, uh, you, you really put those two in the same breath, like you're making me feel a little dirty. Well, if, if you liked shooters, you could have played Shogo, Star Siege, Blood 2, Heretic 2, Sin, and Half Life! <laughs> and Un- Unreal? Didn't that and Unreal! Up? Unreal? I forgot Unreal! What kind of important! And I think, I think that this is an. Imp- like, the actual historians will be able to sit down and tease out all the certain mar- market factors. Like, part of this is in the West economic investment in the games industry became a thing but marketing returns on that hadn't become a thing yet so there really were all these wild freewheeling radical dreamer john carmack style weirdness off the wall of like yeah we're gonna we're gonna sink the 15 million dollars invested in our company into making a game about a gecko in a suit uh that's (laughs) fine right and and at that same time, you have the Japanese market opening up and starting to massively release titles. Like, Pokemon was two years old at this point. Yeah. Pokemon was not a new game by any stretch. But what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, God, has the industry changed in that regard. Yeah. I forgot, even, you know, this was the time when we would wait about, you know, at least a couple of months, sometimes like six months after the US, yeah. for games to get here. Because that's just how media was delayed in this country. People were super upset that Dark Souls 3 came out a month earlier in Japan than it did here. Yeah. And that's a game they had to translate. And here's the thing that I will leave you with, listener. 
1999 was probably better. That's all for this episode of the Downloadable Concept Podcast. Until next time, that's been Fox. That's been Talon. And that's been Jeb. I don't want to leave the 90s. (laughs) (laughs) Let's stay here forever.